Hello and welcome to Just the Basics. I'm your host, Tommy Bowles, my co-host, Matt Shaw. Hello. And uh, we're keeping the beat once a week for you. Indeed. <laughs> this week, we, uh, we're going to continue our series talking about different instruments, but we're going to let Matt talk this time and uh, not have me monopolize the whole conversation here. We're going to talk about the role of the guitar. <laughs> we'll talk about the guitar this week. We'll let Matt and his uh, all his little guitar expertise over there uh, give us some some little golden nuggets of insight. <laughs> Just going to be me uh, sitting here making little sounds the whole time. And so you can uh, look forward to that for the next hour. But uh, before we start actually talking about all those little things of the, the six string wonder, um, I just wanted to make a correction from last week, sort of, uh, when I recommended Disaster Piece. I didn't know whether or not it was a group or not. I should have just hit the uh, the good old Google button because it's just one dude. And uh, there you go. I have now um, sealed my reputation with that um, and have some peace of mind. And uh, cool dude. Still, go check him out. I think his l- latest thing is a piano uh arrangement of stuff he's done which is kind of cool i haven't listened to it so i don't know but that's what it looked like anyway all right so i am a guitarist so hopefully i know some cool things about playing guitar i didn't want to just uh go into talking about uh harmony and rhythm again necessarily like i'm sure we'll drop that in there but i know i already kind of talked about that the past two episodes when we were talking about bass uh so I wanted to start out with the guitar roll because I'm pretty sure that any of you listeners that play guitar, the first thing that you think about is, well, you got to start with, do you play lead guitar or rhythm guitar? And to that, I say, shut your face. That's irrelevant. <laughs> um, so that, that was the first thing that I wanted to talk about because I think it's most important to recognize if you're a guitar player, you play guitar and Sure, there might be an arrangement that you play that technically you're an accompaniment and you just sit there playing the chords. So there are some people out there that call that rhythm guitar. And then sometimes you're up there, you're playing the melody and you play a big solo and you got people playing behind you and everyone thinks you're a superstar and you are considered the lead guitar. No. That's not your role in the band at all. And you have to forget about that because the guitar is an extremely versatile instrument. And you uh, you have a responsibility when you learn guitar to learn every angle on it. And um, if you can't accompany people, then you're not a full-fledged guitarist. If you can't play a little solo and... Uh, play some lead stuff with uh, a nice melody and a bit of creativity, you're not a full-fledged guitarist. So (laughs) you got to learn your stuff and stop thinking that it's a split instrument and two different things there. The only different instruments you have as a guitar is what kind of guitar are you holding? Maybe it's acoustic, maybe it's electric, maybe it's hollow body, et cetera, et cetera. And those can all change drastically. But um, I want to throw out the lead versus rhythm Mm -hmm. thing out there right away and say no forget it yeah that's definitely true that's one thing that makes guitar so much different than bass because bass is so like 99 percent of the time the bass is doing your one thing you hardly ever have different spots that it's going to appear but guitar you have so many different genres and every genre the guitar does something different and 
Like it can be very defining for a genre is how the guitar player plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, and I think a lot of the time, like I don't get offended when people say that they play lead or rhythm or anything like that. I just think that you, if you're, oh, don't lie. <laughs> I mean, I don't get, I don't get mad about it. It's just that it's limiting themselves and having this mindset of, I mean, sometimes they do have a bad attitude about it. And it's like, I don't need to learn how to, to accompany people with chords because I'm a lead player. So if you're being a jerk about it, well then, yeah, I'll get mad about your dumb mindset and know that you can't actually play your instrument. But if uh, the reason that you um, consider yourself a lead player is because you just um, have worked really hard on single note stuff and you didn't learn your chord shapes and you're just kind of scared of that, well then just work on it. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with admitting that you have weaknesses in your playing, but, right. uh, it's not that, I mean, if you've been playing quote unquote lead guitar for 10 years, it shouldn't take you that long to be able to pick up some chord shapes and work on your comping and same thing around. If you've been playing accompaniments for this and this and there and there and there forever, and you just feel like your buddy was the better soloist. So you never got a solo on stage and you stink then stop limiting yourself. You've been playing that long. Learn how to play a solo and play it nice, sweet, and smooth, and you'll be better than Mr. Showoff, okay? Um, That's true. I like the way that you put that. Don't limit yourself because that's all it is. It's just your mindset of, you know, are you going to let yourself do this or not? Because if you can play all those chord shapes, like trust me, from a bass player perspective, every time I try to pick up guitar and play some of those chord shapes, it's really irritating to me because I'm, I'm just not used to the way it feels. The strings are so close together. But if you can make your hands fit that why there's no reason why you can't play the lead lines it's just moving your fingers it's the same exact thing it's just mm-hmm. moving them in different directions it's basically if uh if you're a singer and you've worked for 20 years to be a really good singer and you decide that you're a backup singer that's pretty much right what you've done to yourself is i'm not good enough to take on the full role at all so i'm just going to sit back here and hide and um and sometimes that's true of lead players too because the deeper you get into comping the trickier it can really get and sometimes Mm -hmm. it can get more difficult to do it properly which we'll talk about a little bit more but uh anyway now to dive into other things about it (laughs) i think that the the role of your you as a guitarist no matter what part you may be playing in the song is that you heavily define the song's style or the palette. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're playing, um, say we were playing a swing tune and I start playing Latin style comping, I have now completely violated that song. And I mean, it could be purposeful and it could be just to switch things up and make it weird or whatever. But the point is that the guitar is such a prominent sound that if I come in and play something that is just stylistically improper, it's going to, it, it could very likely ruin the song. Um, Definitely. And, uh, and that, that can also go for if you are playing melodically, uh, say, I know that there was one point at one rehearsal where uh, Spencer had come up to me we'd played like a uh, something swung and I guess I was playing straight 
eighths without really thinking about it. I was probably like, um, probably d- doing it to kind of be creative, like playing straight <laughs> over this this swing. But I must have been doing it just too much, so it just sounded out of place, and um, like I just didn't feel the swing at all. Because I know there was a time that I was trying to use uh, a lot of syncopated triplets and uh things that superimposing different rhythms uh to kind of push the envelope a little bit but i think that it kind of might have gone too far or something like that i don't i don't remember i don't have that good of a memory i just know that in that case my playing was affecting that song's style to the point that it sounded bad um right or just not right i don't know spencer was never that mean um (laughs) But uh, I think a lot of that um, that palette can be affected a lot when it comes to your tone, especially if you're playing an electric guitar. So when you plug in straight and you're just playing clean, you have a ton of styles that you can access with that. But a lot of guys like to start um, messing around with their effects. And I can get that because it's fun to have a bajillion different options in your sound um but talking about effects pedals makes me think of that meme where they show the stomp box and it's a guitar there's two cats inside the stomp box one of them is like (laughs) writing down the notes that the guitar player is playing and then the other one is playing them again back and it's going out as a completely different sound (laughs) (laughs) have you seen that one i think i have or something like it it's pretty great (laughs) but uh I think that effects are really fun and such, but I know that there was a time that I was using them a little bit out of place at times, just mostly experimenting and um, throwing in a bit of a a phase in something we were doing that was a bit funky or whatever. And I don't think it ever got too far. I just know that you can definitely go with a little bit too much in that kind of a yeah, setting. they're great as long as you don't use them as a crutch. Yeah, yeah. Or, so it, a little bit of of uh, extra gain, a uh, heavy overdrive. You start. At least I I've noticed that it hides a lot of my technique mistakes if I'm playing fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't because I don't know. Fairly have to touch the strings to get the sound to come out. Exactly. Yeah, and you can end up playing a lot faster to uh, as a result, and that that's a good thing. But I think it can also, for someone that's learning, it can be a bad thing because as soon as you take all those effects away, the playing sounds really sloppy. And I think that was right. a lot of my issues um, when I started playing jazz. Was it was it's just bare bones playing clean. I mean, I didn't play clean when we started. I had a setup that was way beyond what was necessary, but. Eventually, when I started playing clean, it was a it was an issue for me that I just had to be focused and play um, smoothly and not rush. Um, but um, I, I know that we'll probably have a more in depth discussion about um, making your tone. But I think that at least for an electric guitarist, you really have to be conscientious of what you're dialed in as um, be that cutting out your lows a lot because you're making the room too boomy or, mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. Like that, that's all acoustic stuff. But I mean, specifically like you can dial in your tone and mess with uh, 
your pickups to the point that you're just playing a sound that belongs somewhere else completely, even though you might like how it sounds. Are you sure that's the best sound for the song? If you pick up your Strat and you turn it all the way on that bridge pickup and you make it bright as could be. Yeah. Yeah. That that real shrill sharp sound. Like some, some guys like that sound starting out, but if you use that, um, usually when you have a sound like that, you'll end up with an overdrive and things like that, that color that tone more and more and makes it sound much nicer for rock or country or whatever. I don't know. I never use that. I don't even have a strap, but, um, if you use that and That's you like play a hard bop, and not having a strat. Oh, I do. I guess I technically have a strat since I built that one, but it's not a fender. So I, I don't know. You can take or leave it. Um, as I say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you're like playing a hard bop tune that's really mellow, and you're playing a really shrill sounding strat that you like the sound of, and you got overdrive and chorus and all this stuff, and the rest of the band is like a nice low down upright player and a piano player, then uh, that that's gonna sound real weird. But um, as much as that sounds, uh a bit crazy. I have seen that (laughs) in really nice restaurants. There's been bands that have come in and a dude sits down and he's, his tone is just out of whack. And it sounds like it's for, um, a lot of the time it's like a guy that I guess listens to a bit too much of a, of a country sound and isn't paying too much attention to the fact that it, he just has way too much twang for his style um, of course, I don't. I don't personally like country. So if a guitar is really twangy, I tend to not like it too much at all, especially if it's in a jazz setting. But there's also times where I absolutely adore listening to Chet Atkins, which who wouldn't? So I know mm-hmm. that's not uh, everything in the world, but um, the, one of the reasons you want to pay attention to that tone is because you you need to be aware of the dynamics and the more effects you add on there. Honestly, the more you're kind of leading into forte, fortissimo, forte, and so on so forth. Cause when you have all those effects build up, at least I've noticed once you have them all on, that guitar is pretty doggone loud. And it's also very busy with every note you hit. Um, and right. of course you can you can dial in a bunch of effects like a compressor and reverb and just have this like golden tone and so I'm not shaming effect pedals at all but if you have way too much experimentation going on and it's just a maze of wires and such um a lot of the time you can get a little bit pulled into your own world there and you don't realize that you are heavily outside of the group's actual dynamic um regardless of how you're strumming or anything like that like it you play anything you've overpowered the band kind of a thing Mm -hmm. um you have to you have to make sure that your that sound that you have is going to actually support your group it's not going to clash with them um you kind of have to be an audiophile about it and that can be very fun but it's for an electric guitarist, that is so integral to your role in a group 
that you can't afford to not understand how to shape your tone. Um, right. Yeah, because this sound completely defines everything. Like if you listen to a funk guitarist, their sound is so different from a flamenco guitarist or from hmm. a rock guitarist. And it's all about the way that you attack the strings, the types of strings that you use, the way you play it. And if you don't do it the right way, it's just going to mess everybody up. They're going to look at you like you're crazy and nobody's going to know what's going on anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, like you said, I, I, it just defines the style when you have the right sound. Exactly. Yeah. Like you can, you can make big changes with the tone alone. Um, if you are going for a, uh, a gypsy jazz thing, but you dial in like Mike Stern, it's probably going to sound like fusion. <laughs> yeah. No matter what notes you play and that tone <laughs> is going to be. Exactly. It, I know that like in fusion, like there's a lot of harmonic experimentation and, um, but there was also all of that in other styles as well. So if you dial in in one way and you expect it to sound like this style that you're supposed to be playing, you you might be at a loss there because <laughs> a lot of notes carry over between different styles. It, uh, you could be playing in a bluegrass situation with heavy distortion and you're playing the way that a bluegrass player does, which isn't too far off from jazz players. And, uh, well, it's going to sound kind of silly. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people That's actually true. I know of bands that play like that and it does sound kind of cool. But if you're not going for that, you've made a fatal error. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might have some. Yeah, everybody else is not on the same page. It's going to go weird. <laughs> and you'll get fired and you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not good either. Once you get the gig, you need to keep it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's never a nice thing if uh, you're about to start playing and uh, after the short little rehearsal beforehand, someone tells you, you got to go. We're not keeping you here. We'll, we'll be better off without you. You don't want to hear that. I've never heard or if it. You show. <laughs> I hope that you've never heard that. But <laughs> Or if you show at the audition, you get the, we'll call you. Okay. <laughs> you're probably not going to call me. <laughs> sure to get that before, but that's a long, long time ago. <laughs> oh man that's too funny um another thing that i wanted to talk about is uh that you kind of you have to be able to improvise as a guitarist and um i don't mean that you need to be able to play a jazz solo what i mean is you need to be so familiar with your instrument that you're prepared to um to play a nice fill that you're prepared to uh, drive a vamp in situations where the singer doesn't come in and um, you, you have to know what to do there to fill the space. Um, Or even if you just are jamming out with your buddies and you're just having fun, if, if you don't have a sense for improvising and just communicating with, uh, with others, with your instrument, then, I mean, I I don't really know what you picked it up for in the first place. Um, if everything that you can play on that instrument is just things you've memorized, then um, sure, maybe just that's the way that music works for you. That's fine. It's that's kind of the classical mindset. But um, if you want to be able to get out there and meet people and play with new uh, 
with uh, with new players and find opportunities, then you'd need to be able to add some flavor that you didn't exactly plan out or write down in the first place. Um, and you have to be able to do that without it being too much and not too little. Because if you, if you play a fill that is just really timid, then it's going to sound like a mistake. Um, I was just listening to some old Closed at Four videos, um, <laughs> which, is our, which is our jazz combo from back in college. And the, the really early videos, I hear some fills that I played that I was just nervous and um, didn't really follow through completely. And so instead of sounding like a fill that was um, answering our singer, it just sounded like I was hitting strings on accident, which I, I don't know, maybe that's a little harsh on myself, but that's what I heard and I hated it. Because <laughs> um, I know now I would actually yeah. be able fill in something there that sounded like a proper line and not something that's just like a couple little notes that's kind of rhythmically echoing what's happening. But Mm -hmm. I'm just not, I I didn't have the confidence to actually believe that that was the right thing to do. Um, Right. And it just comes off really messy. Right. So now that you've gotten more accustomed to that sort of thing, how do you approach that? and you're playing to get the right type of sound? Well, for one thing, if uh, say it's in that specific situation, the singer has ended a phrase and you just want to fill in a little bit of space. Um, and uh, you're, you're the only guitar player up there. So you were playing the chords. There's some space here. You need to make sure that you don't overplay in that moment. You have to make it um, a lot of the time what I might do is it might be, like I mentioned, echoing something that just happened. Um, I usually pay attention rhythmically, if uh, depending if it's a drummer or bass, piano, who, whoever else is there. I have to, you have to really pay close attention to where they're at and what they're doing. Um, and I will tell you that a fill is not always the right answer. Um, sometimes your team might feel uh, like if say they're rushing or they're dragging, like we talked about last week, like the rhythm just doesn't feel like it's locked in. You never want to add a fill then because your, uh, your chord playing is still not locked in. So if you go and add a fill and take, and basically take out your uh, drive from the chord playing, you are going to add to things potentially falling apart. So, if you play that fill, I mean, for one thing, just like harmonically, you don't want it to be boring, um, obviously. So maybe you play over a tritone sub leading into what's coming up next. Um, but you want to make sure that it doesn't get in the way of the singer coming back in. Um, say you start playing something and you, for some reason, mapped out a three measure line for some odd reason. And the singer's coming back in after one, that's going to sound a special kind of weird. And also the singer won't have the chords anymore. So what I like to do these days is instead of like switching off the chord playing mindset and just playing a single note line, I usually will 
try to basically play a chord melody. Um, don't take away those chords, play something syncopated like a piano player, but just add s- simple stuff on top of it. That way you don't take out your um, your rhythmic drive and the groove of things, but you can fill up a little bit of space on your higher strings with something that's just a little bit more melodic than whatever's at the top of your chord. Um, right. And you always, in the context of this being like a, a, a jazz combo, uh, that that's when you really have to, you got to learn how to substitute chords and keep things moving. Right. Well, um, when, and also we'll, like when we're talking about the later. fills and that sort of thing, when you're in the jazz combo situation, I like to look at it as like call and response. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the best person to listen to to learn that is Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, and so that's another thing too. No matter what instrument it is, guitar, bass, whatever, you want to listen to other instruments too and take cues from them to learn how to really be stylistically correct and to uh, experiment a little bit more. Yeah, if um, if you want to learn to be a good guitarist, then go listen to everything else. <laughs> Um, that's the key right there listen (laughs) if you don't if you don't know how a piano player plays go listen to piano players if you don't know how a trumpet player plays go listen to trumpet players if you don't know how the saxophone plays go listen to saxophone players and until you know uh, especially the people in your group Um, Mm -hmm. and of course we are still kind of talking from the jazz mindset so say you're in a rock band and you have, uh, well, uh, like prog rock, and you have a synth player up there. If you don't have any idea how that thing can sound, well, go listen to stuff that has synthesizers in it. And if, if you don't know how they can contribute to the group, how can you support them to be able to contribute at all? And how can you make sure that you right. leave the proper space for what they need to do? So... Uh, on that same note, if you feel there's a moment for a fill and your group has a trumpet player or a saxophone player and they're not playing the fill, well, maybe instead of playing that fill and taking away some of your uh, chordal groove, perhaps you should uh, tell the horn player to, uh, to to fill in some space there. But um, <laughs> most of the time if you're with a good player, they'll know when to come in with that sort of a thing and you can trust them. But those are also the moments that you want to listen to because that's the kind of line that you'd want to play to fill in something. You're basically doing the, um, if you have that call and response, like we mentioned, uh, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty self-explanatory. I don't think we need to (laughs) go over what that really means. But uh, I guess we could say call and response is like, hey, Matt, and you saying, Hey, Tommy. Hey, hey Tommy. That's call and response. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, how you doing? But, so if you do that musically, <laughs> yeah, I'm done with that. Um, see, I told you it was going to be that for the next hour. Um, <laughs> if you don't know how to respond to the things that are happening around you, then you need to go look. Li- Tommy's exactly right. Louis Armstrong and that uh, New Orleans style of jazz is a perfect uh, era to listen to for 
hearing instruments that have that call moment in the melody and then another instrument will just fill in the space while the melody is waiting to come back in. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that is the melody player that adds that fill. You'll hear Louis Armstrong uh, uh, playing a trumpet melody and then give his own fill. Uh, There's a lot of times that he'll be singing and then play a fill on his trumpet. Mm-hmm. One person serving the same role. With Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that, where um, the basic premise of that is your role as the guitar player, and that is to fill that empty space. That's why it's called fills, because in those breaks, it just feels like something's missing. So that's why a lot of times in rock, a guitar player will have a riff. So when the singer is done with his wah, 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 then you have a cool rock riff that fills in that empty space leading into the chorus or out of the chorus or whatever. In the transitions, you have some simple driving riff that, uh, that people can remember. And that's, that's why you want to have those fills in there because if you don't fill in that empty space, then it's... Even if you're just rhythmically on point, a lot of it can just kind of drag because there's just this empty void where someone listening to is just going to be like, shouldn't something be happening? Do they know where they are? Uh, Do they know where they are? What's happening? Oh, there's the singer. Okay. Well, that was weird. (laughs) Um, So you, you, you don't want, if it feels like something should be happening, you should probably make something happen now. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand if it takes a little while to, uh, if you're in that setting where you're playing a lot of these chord subs and things like that, that you just don't feel prepared to play something proper. Okay, fine. That, that comes with practice and time. So you don't have to act like I stink until I can play those fills. Well, May you just need a piano player or a trumpet player in the group or something like that, but um, or let your drummer do it or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it, if you can't do it, find out who can. Um, you're. It, it's not solely your part to do those things. It's just there are some situations where if you feel like it's just hanging in the air and there's just that that fruit that needs to be grabbed off the tree. Grab the fruit, figure out how to do it. If you have to practice more, practice more. But that's the role that you need to fill is because the guitar takes up so much space and serves so many versatile um, creative zones of a song that in those moments, take it away. Um, You can, a lot of what you can do with those fills is make sure that it's not, um, my brain is completely blanking out. What do you call it when it's about a oh, solo break? I got it. There it is. Oh. <laughs> I was literally, <laughs> I was going to I say, what, no, what, 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 what do you call it when you break for a solo and start playing? Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, so in, in a solo break, when that happens and it, it kind of starts this foundation of, uh, of someone's voice 
leading into when their solo actually starts. And usually the whole band drops out and you have a moment to play something cool before you start settling into the actual solo with the whole group. You don't want to play something like that in a fill. A fill is more for holding that tension leading up to the release later on. Because that it, when there's that empty space, it feel that tension drops down. And that's why people kind of feel like, wait, shouldn't there's, where are they? Uh-oh, this doesn't feel good. This is boring. I want to go home. Um, and that's for literally any style, not just jazz. If, if, if there needs to be something filled there, something needs to go there. Right. No, that's, that's what makes a lot of amateur songwriters. <laughs> what, what was that? It's not to, sh- to say that we should be afraid of the silence in the music, though, because sometimes the silence makes the song. Exactly. Like Sometimes that's what's building the tension. So um, that, that's the other side of it, is making sure that you aren't too busy. Because mm-hmm. if you're a guitar player that's just way it's, overplaying yeah. and just trying to take every single chance at the spotlight, the spotlight will fall on your head. <laughs> yeah. Well, in my experience as a bass player, I see more often than not guitar players are overly busy rather than not busy enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's super annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, I, I see that it. a lot in my in my early playing compared to how I like to play now. Is yes, that is you true. need a lot of a <laughs> lot of reserve when when you do uh, a gig. I mean, especially in a jazz combo setting, that that is way more than uh, a spot where you have to be reserved and you have to know right. what you're doing. But it still works in like the simplest of a rock band. If you're just going way overboard and no one is with you it just it, you're just not gelling with your group at all you just took it away and went someplace that no one else is including the audience and right. um if you listen to say steve Vai or satriani or the, those guys that play a, a bajillion notes and, and a half they do sound like they're still with their group even when yeah, it's a it's really big musical. arrangement Exactly. Like it might not be all that melodic. It might not be very memorable or something like that. But it's still a, a technical miracle of, a, of an accomplishment when they play, and it does sound like they are not just completely overriding everyone else in their group. There, I've never heard a song where I think that oh, that just sounds terrible from them. It's just not my style for listening to, because. It's a virtuous, uh, virtuous, virtuosity style kind of music where it's more about <laughs> how crazy technical can their playing get instead right. of how good and groovy can the music feel. And that's the side of things I like to, to chill out in. Um, but it still sounds right. really cool and it sounds good. It's mixed well. They, um, it, it feels like they appreciate the other musicians around them, even though everyone is listening to them. Uh, that, that happens in, um, in jazz, too. Like, think about Frank Sinatra. If you're listening to Frank Sinatra and you're a Frank fan, you listen to Frank Sinatra. You might not even know that mm-hmm. a bunch of that is the Count Basie band behind him. Right. But it definitely sounds so good behind him and they are supporting him heavily 
And sure, it was all about him and everyone loved him. Um, but that's just because he was super charismatic and it's hard not to love Frank. But he didn't get in the way of his band. They mm-hmm. still sounded fantastic and it meshed together really, really well. Because you can you can tell when the singer is disconnected completely. Um, right. And we've played with singers that are disconnected and think it's all about them and all the instruments, instrumentalists' purpose is to serve them um, and their singing. Instead, yeah. uh, they're supposed to be another instrument in the group, and we all make the music together. Exactly. And that's the issue that a lot of guitarists can have, is they get into a mindset that even if they, even if there is a singer, it's still all about them and their playing mm-hmm. and their cool riff or their cool solo. Um, and it, a, a lot of the time it doesn't take a jerk to do it. Like Tommy just said, like my early on playing, I was too busy and I was getting into learning how to play in a group and uh, when to play, when not to play, uh, when to be more reserved, when it was time to play out. I didn't have a feel for it yet. And it wasn't because I was being rude and all about me and arrogant or anything it was simply because i didn't have the experience to know so don't right. feel like just because someone is overplaying it means that they're a terrible person no no just, and that's something yeah. that you are always learning too yeah yeah like i still don't know when to shut up sometimes <laughs> are you implying i'm talking too much right now <laughs> <laughs> no i said i don't know when to shut up sometimes <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the backhanded compliment. <laughs> um, I think Got one of the ways that really... What's that? <laughs> or we're, we're married, so I think... <laughs> we're used to this. Anyway, uh, I already got in trouble for last week for getting the first day, our first dance song. But... uh. Thankfully, I have a very forgiving wife. <laughs> she said you were in trouble too. And I'm like, why? He's the one with the excuse. <laughs> she bought my excuse and said that you were still in trouble. I was like, hold up. <laughs> like, I'm the one that doesn't actually have an excuse. That's so funny. I, my wife and I were talking the other day about that, and neither of us could remember what our first dance song was. It took us like five or 10 minutes to figure it out. And she remembered oh. it, not me. And I still don't remember. Um, it was Billie Holiday. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, this is bad. <laughs> I feel bad I because I was just completely absorbed by that music too. Because uh, Mr. Spencer was in your band, and well, he he didn't play it though. We did the uh, the track. Yeah, I know, but. I, I can't on. remember. I, I, don't, really I don't remember at all. We, um, you might have to edit this out. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, you'll be <laughs> dumb, not me, so I'm good this week. I, I'm solid. Um, That's so funny. Anyway, I back to guitar. Was... Let's, let's save ourselves. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I might have the playlist on my phone still. I might be able to find it. Let me look. Let's see. Um, I can't give you anything but love. That's what it was. Oh, I vaguely remember that now. Yeah, I very vaguely remember it too. 
being at your wedding reception was so nice because Bethany and mine was uh, quite stressful. <laughs> like we had a good time. It's just things uh, organizationally were all over the place. So it's just being able to sit there and chill at yours was kind of like, this makes up for it. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yours was a little chaotic. Mine was too, though. I mean, we walked in, they were playing the wrong song. <laughs> oh yeah i remember that <laughs> and then when i got them to got them to fix it and they started playing the track they played the wrong track they played the track for um the the father-daughter dance oh so, yeah i do yeah i remember that one that, yeah that was, so that we had to stop them playing twice and then we finally got the right one and then um yeah that that was confusing <laughs> oh man, that that was funny. It was so funny. My wife was so confused because we walked in and we were supposed to walk into I can't give you anything but love. We walked mm-hmm. into um Isn't She Lovely? I was like, what's going on? And I just thought it was fun because it's a funk groove, you know. I'm like, man, this is awesome. And my wife looked at me and she her eyes got real big and she looked so freaked out. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> right, right. I mean, on your wedding day, if something goes wrong, then it feels like, oops, we have now reached the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was so funny. Uh, anyways, off the rail, back to the guitar. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's fine. Uh, next point that I had was, uh, <laughs> well, actually, let me just say for the improv sake, if you want to get better at being able to do, do fills and things like that, then just learn how to improvise with solos. That does help right. a lot in long form, just coming up with different ideas um, on the spot stuff and navigating harmony. It, it'll, it will make those fills easier. Like I don't have some surefire. This is how I play a fill. I just play a fill yeah. in those moments. So, so like when you ask me like, how do you do that? It's kind of a, yeah, do it when it's there. <laughs> um, it's yeah so much about listening and actually feeling out when it happens. Let's say uh, I'm playing in my church worship team and I feel this is a good moment for a fill that never actually happens, but say it did, (laughs) I would not play it there. It is not the context for me to show off a fill. I mean, of course there are some churches that they have a big, more of a R and B gospel band and those are that's mm. proper context for fills and things like that, where everything's kind of groove based yeah. anyway. So it's fine in those settings, but in um, more contemporary uh, worship, Tomlin harvest style that that stuff, there isn't really any space for that. And if you do play it, it so overshadows the simplicity that even if you feel like something should have gone there, the answer is just no. It's just mm-hmm. not the right context. And um, it will sound stupid no matter what you play and how cool it was supposed to sound. It will sound bad. Um, well, unless you play the lick. <laughs> oh, you mean of the song? Like, da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, any context. You could uh, never, ever play anything else. Just that. <laughs> You'll be a star oh, in no God. time. I promise you. I saw Adam Neely did a, a gig vlog and him and his piano player, they, during their solos throughout the whole night, they, um, they were quoting the lick and he had a run encounter going and they quoted it like 77 times during this gig. 
it was it was awesome they were just laughing up a storm it was great (laughs) i wasn't even aware of that until not too long ago when it like started uh circulating social media and uh all those videos of compilations of all kinds of different uh jazz dudes like the legends all of them playing this little uh, this little ditty of a of a lick and oh huh well, that's interesting. I don't know if I've ever put that in my playing, but I never knew about it. <laughs> I don't think I ever have because it's kind of weird. It ends on the two, and that's not something I normally do. True. So, so I, I might not have, but it sounded like it. it but I've started putting it in my You'd have to listen now, closely to funny. spot that in context, but. Yeah. <laughs> but uh anyway it's really funny i think it's ironic that we keep going off on these little rabbit trails because guitar players are known for noodling (laughs) (laughs) i think it's quite fitting yeah (laughs) um i think uh on that point of improvising solos and it uh that that the noodling thing leads to that being a good point you don't want to spend an entire solo just noodling around it's very easy to do that and yeah just um, get the point out and shut up (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and you can even if you know all the uh all the harmonies of the tune and you know exactly where you uh need to go with it if all you're doing is just playing you're just noodling around you're playing real quick real fast and uh, that's that's pretty good dude you're playing super fast you're doing 64th notes it <laughs> won't really matter at all if you haven't um paid a single lick of attention to your your band your group um because if if you're not listening and actually playing with them and allowing for some creativity to happen in your soloing then you're you're just going to be in your own little world until your solo's done. Uh, nothing fun will really happen there. Um, you you won't get nobody it. Nobody will you, love you. Nobody will <laughs> They will hate you. They will say he can play fast, but he have no soul. The devil took it. Well, that's true. Ago. They might actually say that. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, well, that is the point with that. Like, you want you want to be able to like, tell a story, use your yeah. soul, speak your heart, all that, all that metaphorical gibberish. That really is the uh, where you get the bread and butter yeah. of improvising. Like, just let yourself enjoy it. You really don't have to do anything that complicated to play a good solo. Like, sure, there there are contexts and and spots where crazy, complicated, and technical. Um, harmonizing can be really cool and works out really well. Coltrane knew how to do that and actually make it work. It might not always be my cup right. of tea, but he certainly played some incredible solos with really complicated stuff that worked. And it's difficult to get to that level. But you don't need much to be able to play with your group. Um, simple sequences, rhythmic ideas, things like that, that can really... Make the magic happen, as we've said time and time again. And um, that really happens if you really pay, play, pay close attention to the other guys, girls in your group. Um, 
And uh, right. that, that's when it helps to have other players that are listening to you as well. Because if they're not paying attention to you, then, well, I mean, it's not, not much is going to happen anyway. But Right. Now, do you have any recommendations on how to practice that and get better at it? Um, of course, for that specific thing, it really does depend on uh, you being in a group setting mm-hmm. and actually practicing and playing with other people. So for that, if you have a couple of uh, buds that you play with, um, take a non-performance setting and just just kind of jam, jam over something simple, like play over chameleon, something like that. Um, that might not require that much of a that much of an attention span on the actual music so that you can listen to each other. That way you can just just play around, just jam together, lock in, um, get a good feeling, have fun, and just do that for a little while and just kind of get to know each other musically. Don't talk. Keep your mouth shut. But just <laughs> use your instrument to actually communicate. The, the more that you talk, the less you play. So shut up and play. And just enjoy yourself and learn how the other musicians communicate, the kind of ideas that they vibe with. Um, mm. If you don't know those other players at all, then it it's going to be tricky to get that connection if you go from one short rehearsal to straight onto the stage and expect it to sound fantastic. Now, of course... There are some people that just get along. I've known some players that I've played with that is just like, hey, we just mesh. We just speak the same language. That's cool um, and good for those moments. But if you want to practice it and you want to get better yourself at actually listening, then I think that that's the way to do it. But say you don't have some buddies around, yeah. that's fine, whatever. Um, that happens. If, if you need to practice alone, there's a bajillion backing tracks on youtube a lot of them do use fills and are a little busy and if you play along to those then at least you have something to um to jam with just to get used to that kind of a feeling um you do want to be able to sit down alone nothing else and play through a tune and then play a solo that uh actually feels like it's going through the tune like you're outlining the harmony properly kind of the same way that uh, Tommy was talking about with playing bass line that outlines uh, the song perfectly. So you always feel that you're moving forward uh, the way that the song goes. So if you're, right. if you're playing a solo performance and you're improvising, then you have no other choice. You have to outline the harmony properly or else it's just, it's just noodling and no one will actually hear it moving forward. And it is very difficult to do properly and um and i can recognize that but it's something to practice but you definitely have to devote a lot of time and experience to for that one right um i have a couple of recommendations too on ways to practice it on your own time when you're not necessarily with a group um so you want to take whatever it is whether you get a looper pedal or backing track whatever it is so you have something to listen to but purposely put yourself in a box so make yourself play your work on your solos and your improvisation by saying, okay, I can use these three notes and then, yeah. okay, I can use these four notes and limit yourself on what you can do because it'll force you to be creative with what you have. And so then gradually open yourself up to more ideas. 
um, take something and say, okay, this time I'm only going to play my the Dorian modes over over this. I don't want to play mm-hmm. anything else, just Dorian or Locrian or whatever it is. You know, pick something and stick with that for that time through the song, and then try something else. And then the other recommendation I have is singing your solos while you're in your practice room. Um, yeah. You hear it more often, I feel like, in with bass players than you do with guitarists. Sure. Um, but like, even if you watch Steve Vai, he's kind of singing along with what he's he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell he's seriously thinking about it. He he can hear the pitch before he plays it. He knows what it's going to sound like. And the way you get to that point is, unless you are just some savant. In that case, I'm jealous. It's uh, <laughs> through lots of practicing. And the way it helped me best is by forcing myself to sing with my playing, even if I'm just playing walking bass lines, because that'll do two things for you. It'll sure up your pitch and harmony. You'll get a better idea of where you are in the song because you won't have to think about it. You'll be able to actually hear it and you'll know what the sound that you have in your head. You'll be able to put on your instrument better. And then the other thing is it forces you to listen more to what's around you because you'll be thinking about, okay, how does this fit contextually? Because you can sing a line and tell if it fits a lot easier than just moving your fingers across the the keyboard or the strings on autopilot. Because it's very Mm -hmm. easy just to move your, you know, okay, we're in the key of G flat. I'm just going to play this G flat scale. It's going to sound good. Well, I mean, you're kind of right but it's not going to sound right. It's going to sound not wrong, but not necessarily right. So forcing yourself to sing along with it kind of opens up your ears a little bit and lets you kind of experiment a little bit more, I feel like. It gives your solos a little more musicality because mm-hmm. your your voice isn't go- going to be able to sing notes as fast as your fingers can play. Right, so it forces you to think. Plus it makes you breathe. So you don't just do run-on sentences the whole time. Yeah, that that is a big thing for soloing is learning how to breathe on an instrument that doesn't require a breath. Mm-hmm. Because you can fill up every single stinking beat of space in a song, and it'll just sound overwhelming. But if you know those spots where you can take a breath, you can even find ways to syncopate those, uh, those breaths. Then... Um, it's going to sound a lot better. Like even the guys that played really complex, complicated stuff, they knew how to breathe. Um, yeah. They're like the Coltrane did like circular breathe his way through sheets of uh, layers of notes and never stop ever. He, he didn't do that. He, he knew how to leave the space properly. He didn't leave as much space as miles who was all about leaving a void of space and, um, and, keeping it smooth and cool, but it still right. was there. Um, there's still musicality to yeah, it. It, it really makes a difference for string players and keyboard players to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Cause horn players, they don't have that choice. You know, they have to, what comes out is what comes out. But since they're breathing, it's more, I don't want to say it's more physical, but in a way it's more physical because you're putting more behind it. So mm-hmm. with a string instrument, you put your finger in the place and the sound comes out. It's not, it's, it's too easy to play any note and not care what it actually sounds like. Exactly. 
All right. Well, I think that's the end of my thought processes. I'm, I mean, it's not like we won't ever talk about guitar stuff again, but I think that knowing that it is your role uh, as a guitarist because your your instrument is very powerful. It affects a lot of what's happening in the song, no matter what part you have. So you have to be aware that your instrument defines the style heavily, that the tone of your instrument is um, is a big part of that definition along with the rhythms that you play. And, um, and if you're not wary about your tone, then you can violate the dynamics that are going on. And, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the time you can set yourself up so that you can't actually like crescendo and decrescendo. Like you just don't really have that option to move dynamically very well. Um, so you have to be cautious in how you set everything up. Uh, even in situations where you do need all those effects, like you still want to be able to play dynamically, and um, you have to have the good old chops. And don't just to, get a uh, volume pedal. De- playing dynamically is not always about how loud. Sometimes it is how much you're playing or how fast. You're playing. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's not about just plugging a volume pedal and then halfway through the song put it at, at half. It, it, it's not like that. It's making sure that uh, your chain isn't just bonkers pretty much right have some have some reservation on that pedal board you don't have to have the 10 foot uh maze that you play hopscotch on to set up your tone you can be much simpler than that i can promise you that it does not take thousands and thousands of dollars to have a professional tone you don't need to worry about that as much as some guys do i know Do, do you ever find this funny when you're listening to live music whether it's at a church or a concert or whatever and they go to switch songs and you hear a click, 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 click. <laughs> and you're looking over the guitar players, clicking all these different buttons on his pedal board to try to change the sound because it's, it's you know, like he's tap dancing. Yeah, it's so funny because there's just all these different things. You got like 100 pedals and all of them get clicked on. It's like, how, mm-hmm. how do you remember what is what? I what, am impressed by the guys you? that do that, especially if it actually does sound good because you got to really know what you're dealing with sound shaping. If you right. have a pedal board that big, Usually, I consider it overkill to the max. Like, uh, you you can get can a lot so of cool, tone. Uh, sh- yeah, yeah, it can be very cool. Like, you you can get a, a nice mix from a from a giant pedal board, but you can usually get everything you need in your context from a from a smaller board, and um, and not having that much. I mean, sometimes. If I mean, if you're gonna pay that many pedals, you probably should have just gotten the tube amp that would sound good in the first place. <laughs> Honestly, because you probably paid as much in pedals, you probably paid more than you'd pay for the really nice tube amp that just out of the box has basically all the tone that you need. You might need a reverb pedal. Um, most tube amps now they have an overdrive that's perfectly fine. Usually they don't even need the over an overdrive setting. Usually it's just turn up the stinking gain and you're good. Um, of course, that's the cool thing about a tube amp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it because usually what you're doing when you buy all those pedals is you're trying to get it to sound like a really good amp. And unfortunately, some guys just keep on swiping their credit card until they have this massive pedal board that can uh, model different nice amps but they could have just bought the doggone amp i mean yeah 
my my amp isn't even that expensive and it sounds fantastic with plugging basically just clean into it and it can get a really good rock sound without needing a single pedal i have some pedals because it's fun to mess around with and i could technically play metal if i wanted to and uh or a, a little bit more of a dirty sounding blues sound and uh have some really weird effects that let me experiment like an eight bit pedal. That's really I was going to say, I want to get a bit crusher. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 The, those are really cool. But, uh, I, I wouldn't like take that to pretty much any gig I can think of. I it works for solo, but I've played chord melodies with the pixel effect on and it sounds super cool. It makes your guitar sound like a synthesizer, but I mean, I can play guitar better than I can keyboard. So why not? <laughs> right. Oh, um, that's too funny. Well, totally trying to wrap up on. the different points and then yeah. <laughs> rabbit hold on the point in the middle. <laughs> well, now that we're done talking about the toy base over there, um, <laughs> uh, what are your recommendations for the week as far as listening? Um, instead of like doing a single song or an album, I wanted to recommend a couple of the guitarists that have really inspired me in my playing. And um, okay. But uh, from different styles, not just a list of list of uh, jazz guitarists. Even though it starts out with my boy Django Reinhardt, he was a <laughs> gypsy jazz player, and um, <laughs> uh, I I know that I'll talk about him more eventually. He has a cool uh, backstory, uh, very interesting life, and uh, his his playing affected my playing a lot. And you can learn a ton from listening to him and the way that he plays. And you have to remember the dude only had two plus sort of a third finger because of an accident that happened in his life. So when you listen to him, he's doing things that, well, you don't even do because you don't need to. And he's still getting that sound. So I would definitely check him out and listen to him a lot. If you haven't already, all the players that he plays with are really good. Um, so you can learn a lot from listening to those around him as well. Like that, that style of music is very communicative and uh, has a really nice feel to it and very relaxing and, and uh, gets a nice little swingy bounce going to it. Mm-hmm. Another one was Joe Pass. Um, okay. He is, uh, he's an inspiration. In, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 He, he's a, he's an inspiration in the way that I aspire to be able to play at his level. Um, and I think I'll have to be as old as he was by the time I can actually play like he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, it seems because like he was always old. <laughs> I don't know when he was young. Every video he's he's like a Morgan Freeman of guitar players. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the dude, like, I swear, he, he had the capacity in his, his mind and fingers to play a, a walking bass line and chords and the melody on top of that. And I can barely get the chords and a melody in and make it actually sound good. So... <laughs> yeah i've only uh, it, ever heard joe pass get outplayed once and I, that was the, uh, in a the trio yep. um with uh oscar peterson playing piano and uh, nhop uh, playing bass yep and that's what i was going to mention is uh <laughs> if, if you if you want to learn a lot from joe pass go listen to recordings of him playing with nhop and and that that trio there's a album called chops between yes. just him and perfectly uh, named for those three guys. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Joe pass and NHOP uh, in a duo album. And 
the stuff that happens there, it's, it's exactly what you need to know. Like that's a lot of what, um, inspired me for playing as a duo with Tommy back in the day. Like I'd mm-hmm. listen to that to kind of learn how to, how to play in that setting. Cause it's, it's odd. There's no drummer, there's no piano player. Um, there's a ton of space. So it's a very interesting, um, it's an interesting That's group, interesting. even though it's it's just two two uh, yeah. people playing. Because you have to figure out how to complement each other without getting in, in each other's way, and yet keep a groove moving. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility between the two of you. And that album is exactly how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and because um, I listened to a lot of Red Mitchell for that when I was trying to learn how to play in that setting, I listened to Red Mitchell a ton. He um, he started out as a cellist, and then when he started playing bass, he actually tuned his bass in fifths just like a cello. Um, I, right, I right, don't right. know how. He must have had massive hands to be able to do that. But yeah, I listen to him a lot to learn how to play that duo style. Yeah, and another another example like that is uh, um, of a duo that's fun to listen to is slam stort who's a bass player and he's one of those guys yeah. that sings along to his playing and he has uh and he bows some, <laughs> oh yeah 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 he does he switches between bowing and and uh and finger style yeah thank you um <laughs> um silly guitar player it's okay <laughs> <laughs> italian words i'm american i don't know <laughs> i i know the words um <laughs> but he he would play with um I don't know how to pronounce his last name properly so here we go I I know his first name was Slim well that's probably his slang name uh, Slim Gaylard Gallard I I don't yeah. actually know I'm not going to try to act like I know but um they were they played it just always sounded like they were Slim having a ton of fun yeah Slim and Slam that that was what they even called their their thing together and uh. It, it's, it's a lot of fun songs. The recordings, I, it must be from way back there because the recording quality on pretty much everything from them is oh, <laughs> mediocre at best. But yeah. you can still hear a lot and it's really fun to listen to. And Slim had that uh, Freddie Green um, just behind the beat mm-hmm. uh, where it needs to be um, playing a really good swing feel. And it always seemed like they were having a great time and just playing off of each other. So they're a great example for that that uh that duo feel and being able to communicate and enjoy yourself <laughs> mm-hmm. and um well, the cool thing about slam stewart too, is, too right that's true and then like slam stewart when he sang he sang an octave above his his arco sound the bow sound so yeah. it was like it was so cool it's like he had an octave pedal without actually having it because he had this real gritty voice that sounded kind of aggressive like the sound of the bow on the string it was crazy <laughs> Definitely listen really to cool. Slambury. I don't know if Slim is on that one, but Slambury is it's so cool. Fun. It's so cool. But uh, anywho, uh, also listen to Chad Atkins. Um, okay, you mentioned him I'm, earlier. Yeah, I did mention him earlier, but uh, his finger style playing, like, he did play jazz stuff. He played standards um, in his fashion. Um, he's the old country, the good country music. <laughs> <laughs> he he uh, had a great tone. He was fantastic with his technique. Um, mm-hmm. You can learn a lot of what what happens when you get really good with your approach to that to the instrument of the guitar, and mm-hmm. you just manhandle that instrument and 
play it the daylights out of it. And um, he he shows up a lot of players that are really good. And um, it's fun to listen to recordings of him playing with Les Paul, not the guitar, the dude. <laughs> um because they seem like they had a really good time together and both of them are really good players. And it's kind of the same vibe of Miles Davis and John Coltrane, where one of them focuses on more of a reserved play style and the other more complex because Chet mm-hmm. is crazy quick, but um, very musical and less was um, he took his time. Yeah, Charmin ultra less is more sort of thing. <laughs> he's a very, he was a very charismatic player, really. Yeah. Like he did he did some quick stuff, but a lot of the time the ideas were just, you know, it, it wasn't cuckoo birds, wasn't anything like that. Um, anywho, and my last recommendation. Oh wait, I actually want to Google what this guy actually calls himself. I forgot to do that, but the band is called. Um, it's easiest to find them by TWRP. TWRP. Full, it's Tupperware Remix Party, but they they just call themselves TWRP. Tupperware um, Remix Party. Okay. Guitar player. Hmm. They all they like. Um, I feel have, like I've heard them. Oh, you have because I showed them to you back in the day. That's why I, I feel like I've heard I don't them. Know if I've actually <laughs> said those words right? Okay, here we go. Um. They like wear kind of like Daft Punk sort of costumes, in, right? In that kind of a vein where they just wear really weird costumes and look like robots, and they don't actually put them their actual um, faces out there and such. Okay, here we go. The guitar player's name is Lord Phobos, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, that. That's what he goes by. He's dressed as a robot. And he's an incredible guitar player. I, I didn't want to recommend Wolfpack again. Uh, that's uh, Corey Wong is is excellent, but TWRP is kind of that sort of a thing. They're very uh, electronic and groove based, but I've been really impressed with um, with their playing. And the guitar player just has a really good sense for a lot of different styles. Um, he's very original in a lot mm-hmm. of their uh, their playing, like. It, it's difficult now to find music where a guitar player with more of a rock, um, a rock tone actually can come up with a riff that is memorable. Um, a lot of the time, if I mean, it's hard to find a group that even uses a rock kind of guitar <laughs> in the first place. But That's even true. when you do, like it might not so even have a riff at all. It's like they're just playing the song and there's nothing uh, catchy about the guitar playing. Mm-hmm. But these guys, they actually have original sounding um, grooves and riffs, really weird lyrics, which is always fun. Um, they uh, sometimes have singers. The lead singer of the actual group uses uh, the vocoder on his voice um, to give that that robot thing. But they're really they're really enjoyable to listen to. I guess you could call them dance music in a way. Um, but okay. He, 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 it he sounds about right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it's, it's for dancing. He's for having fun. But <laughs> there's still uh, a lot of stuff, especially their latest album. I think um, kind of came into fruition as much more musical. That's why I, I hesitate to just call them a dance band like Daft Punk because they kind of surpassed that level with their latest, um, and it became right. much more of that 
kind of Wolfpecky, groovy, funk kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's why I would definitely recommend him because he's definitely been a late uh, an inspiration for me as of late, just because I grew up listening to rock and then hit college right. and everything kind of became groove based music. And then I learned jazz and all of this. And now I hear these guys where he has a rock tone used in a very, very, very groovy setting and it feels fantastic. So it's, it's really cool to hear something. It's kind of like all of me put into one band plus all their weird nerdiness and the other reason to recommend them is their bass player is killer. That dude is really good at uh, at locking in there and uh, playing exactly where he needs to. And his slap lines sound really cool. He gets a lot of uh, cool fills in there, very funky. So they're they're really cool to listen to. Anywho, you know who I'm surprised you didn't mention what? Well, you're talking about guitars. I'm surprised you didn't and like being a tasteful player and learning how to fit in. I can't believe you didn't mention Wes Montgomery. Well, I was going to, but I knew I'd mention him eventually in talking about how he plays. So That's I just true. wanted to get, throw in Joe Pass because I feel like he was the, um, he's essential to listen to for playing with other people. Um, right. Whereas okay. Wes Montgomery was almost always the star of the show. Not that he didn't play well with other people. He certainly did. But, um, there was definitely something about him where it's almost like a Frank Sinatra of guitar players of jazz guitar, mm-hmm. um, where everyone was there to support him where Joe pass. It seems like he's there as part of the group and played as such. Um, he, gotcha. okay, I see like what him playing with Ella and things like that. He, he just, he got around a little bit more. Wes was because of his life. Um, he, he limited yeah, cause of how late in a game his family. Yeah. He was, he has a very interesting story and in life, but there's a reason why it was kind of always his recordings were him. It's because he stayed where he was his whole life and he had every intention of keeping it that way. So there's wonderful recordings of him and you can learn a lot with that because he's, he's as tasteful as it gets. So he's another recommendation, but <laughs> just an indirect recommendation. Yeah, 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 we'll talk about that more because I love Wes. <laughs> oh man, he can't get a whole lot better than Wes. He's a wonderful <laughs> writer too. Yeah, definitely, definitely is. Oh man. Well, um, I was going to recommend, I have an album I was going to recommend uh, that it's, it was released, I believe it was 2014. So it's been out for a little bit now, um, but it hasn't, uh, it hasn't been wildly popular. It should be more popular than it is, I, in my opinion. Um, but it's by the the bassist Nathan East. Um, so, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, so Nathan East. Um, for those of you who don't know who he is, he is uh, mostly known as a studio artist. He has uh, he's recorded on anything and everything. Like seriously, the guy is everywhere. Like, and he still is everywhere. He's constantly playing he's sponsored by yamaha um he's got he just released a new signature bass it's a six string oh man it sounds so good (laughs) i'm not a six string player typically but i don't know that bass could change my mind uh but he finally started doing his own albums in the past couple years um so the album i was going to recommend is called the new cool it's a duo album fittingly enough um 
It was released in 2015. It's Bob James and Nathan East. It is really good. Um, How cool. Yeah. One thing that's really cool about it, it's so unique, is that it's, well, I shouldn't say unique. It's it's that older jazz style of like Mm -hmm. kind of, I feel like it's kind of in that hard bop sort of vibe where it just feels good, but it's probably more smooth jazz than hard bop as far as the soloing language, everything. But it's it's really good. It's just the two of them, and Nathan East plays his Yamaha electric upright bass on it, which is awesome. Oh, cool. Like it sounds like a true acoustic upright bass. That thing's amazing. So it's definitely a good album to listen to if you want to hear some really good, tasty duo playing. That's funny because I didn't even know we were going to talk about duo playing today. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> it worked out pretty nicely. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. That was a lot of fun talking about the role of the toy bass. I mean, guitar. Um, (laughs) It made me actually, that makes me think of another meme. I'll share it on my Instagram account. There's one where, have you guys, have you ever seen Back to the Future? Um, Or not Back to the Future. Sorry. Oh, I didn't say Back to the Future. I'm thinking Men in Black. Why did I say Back to the Future? (laughs) Anyways, remember when, um, (laughs) I know, completely different. Remember when, uh, they go, Will Smith is asking for a gun, so the guy hands him that little tiny little baby gun. Cricket. Yeah, every time I see I see that, it makes me think of the toy bass, the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, share it. Please share it. Let other people know about us. Um, please so, so message us on Twitter or Instagram or wherever. And send us your questions if you have anything you would like us to talk about, a subject you want us to cover or whatever. Um, or contact us through the website, tommybowls.com slash submissions. And uh, we'll get back in touch with you. We'd love to hear from everybody. Um, mm-hmm. We're all on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and then remember the podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and Google Podcasts and Podbean. I think that's all of them. I think, I think that's so. it. We applied for Pandora. I haven't heard back from them yet. And uh, we can't apply for Spotify yet. We don't qualify. So we will get, we'll try to get on Spotify as soon as we can. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, go ahead and listen. hit us up next week. We're going to talk about uh, practice. Yeah, practicing, right? <laughs> so we'll talk about our own practice routines, sort of thing, what we like to do. So, all right, we will see you guys next week. See you, everyone.